Hello, this is the Uncredible Adventures podcast. Bit of a bolt-on section here because I'd actually completed this week's podcast and then I woke up in the middle of the night last night and suddenly realised that in fact I've got the perfect link story between last week's episode which was amongst other things about rabbits and this week's episode which covers again a lot of things one of which is the pain of having a side garden that the entire neighbourhood can see into and also the the joys of working from home and having neighbours that like to come and ring on your doorbell at all hours of the day and expect you to be able to stand on the doorstep and chat for unlimited time when you've got things that you need to be getting on with. I've already completed this episode, but it hasn't been published yet, so I've got the opportunity to just bulk this little section in before we lead in. So this story is about two years ago. For a bit of background, we had uh, two rabbits in a hutch and, and a run in the side garden that the entire neighbourhood can see into. I was on a team's call one random Tuesday morning with work and the doorbell rent thinking that it was potentially a delivery or the postman. I jumped up, ran through the house, opened the door and there was a guy standing there and a, an older chap who I didn't recognise at all. So immediately at that point, my brain starts thinking, right, how can I get rid of this person as quickly as possible I've got to be a little bit careful number one I'm not a rude person I don't like being rude and horrible to people number two my wife runs a business from this address so anyone that comes to law is potentially linked to her business so I don't have full liberty to slam the door in people's faces I need to establish what they want first but immediately I started thinking how can I get rid of this guy I'm on a team's call I've run away they're going to notice I'm not there I need to get back to my desk as quickly as possible just smiled and said hello and he said oh you're rabbits and immediately I thought oh no here we go the rabbits have escaped they're running around I'm going to lose my entire morning now chasing rabbits around the street or something similar so I was quite relieved actually when he said do you want some do you want some free hay and bedding for them now actually I didn't to be honest I, d- I certainly don't need someone to come and knock on the door 11 o'clock in the morning offering me free hay and straw, but I thought the quickest way to get rid of this guy would just be to say, oh, that's very kind of you, yes, please, he could give it to me, transaction over. So I said, yeah, okay, yeah, oh, that's very kind of you, yes, thank you. And he said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I I don't need, you know, I've had it for quite a while, but I don't need it anymore, and now I'm moving, so it's tight, so... I'm sort of getting rid of everything I've got. And I saw your rabbits were there. I thought you'd bring it around. And again, I said, oh, that's very kind. Yes, please. Yep. Can I have it? And I realised he wasn't holding it. He had it back in the car. And suddenly this guy, he wanted to chat. He wanted to talk to me about his story, which was he was moving out of his house. He was moving to a different town. He was starting a a new life of the, of the back of, I think, a divorce of this that and the other happening and he clearly was quite a lonely guy and he saw the opportunity to corner me and have a really long conversation about it while the rest of my colleagues at work were no doubt wondering where I'd got to and why I'd run away so rudely and so suddenly in the middle of a meeting it was a bit of a masterstroke because this guy had got something which now I was in the position where it appeared that I wanted to get this hay or whatever on earth it was he wanted And he was being the kind benefactor that's giving it to me. And I couldn't appear rude by rushing him. Plus the fact that it was locked in the back of his car meant that I didn't have control over the situation. I couldn't get my hands on it. I had to listen to him. So I tried to hurry him along as much as I could. I said, look, I'm just, you know, I'm on a work call. 
and I do need to get back to it. I really appreciate you coming and I really appreciate you offering me this, but I, I, I don't have much time. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, I used to work. What, 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 what industry do you work in? Doing everything to try and make conversation. I was doing everything I could to give him one word answers. Oh, I, you know, I worked for 30 years for the water board. We used to... Anyway, eventually, with me being really taking it to the limit of how rude I could be without being outright rude, which I'll never be able to do to anyone, eventually I managed to get this guy to take me to the back of his car. And he opened the boot, and there was a little bag of hay about the size of a, a sort of bag of flour or something like that, that I could see the mould on it. You could see the spider's web of mould growing over it. And next to it was a huge bag of sawdust, like sawdust, absolutely not what you're going to put in a rabbit run. that had no need for a big bag of sawdust. Again, I'm doing the calculation. How? What's the quickest way for me to get rid of this guy? So ultimately, I just I just took them. I said, OK, yeah, I've got them. I picked them out. I carried them back to the house. Uh, he followed me back up the path, desperately trying to talk to him. Uh, I'm sure he's perhaps he's got a podcast somewhere and he's telling the story now about this rude guy that he, that really wanted to get some hay and straw off him and then just ran away with it and slammed the door in his face. But I had to in the end. And then, of course, that hay and straw became my problem, which later I had to drive it to the tip and put it in the garden waste box. So the pain of having rabbits, the pain of being antisocial, the pain of living somewhere where everyone thinks your property is public and people like to knock on the doors and come and talk to you. So without further ado, I'm going to lead you in. You're going to hear a second introduction now. Apologies for that. Thank you for tuning in. Great to have you here. This is the Uncredible Adventures podcast. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining the Uncredible Adventures podcast. This episode that I am calling Plowman's Chainsaw. I'm really pleased to have you along. I hope you can relax, spend a bit of time with me. Enjoy listening to some of these stories. Uh, There's absolutely no bad language, nothing that's going to wind you up in this episode. Just some good, honest fun and some memories of some interesting things that have happened to me. Uh, I talk about the unparalleled joy of owning a chainsaw as a middle-aged man my prejudice or examine a little bit my prejudice around plowman's lunches um and that triggers a load of memories about being a teenager and fiddling about with various two-stroke engines uh, motorbikes mopeds and you name it i am cornelius this is the uncredible adventures podcast you can catch us of course on uncredibleadventures.com twitter uncredible at uncredible pod and instagram at uncredible adventures i want to, I've, I've had a little listen to this episode and before we go into it i i sound pretty relaxed it's an episode predominantly about me pruning an apple tree um that's in my side garden here and when i listen back i realized i sound very relaxed about the outcome of this tree but it's probably important for me to give a little bit of context to tell you how important this tree is not just to me but apparently to my entire neighborhood it really is a community asset and it's something that uh, causes me to interact far more with my neighbors than I think I'd possibly like to so the house we have, some mad 1980s housing estate design, and whoever designed where we are clearly was going through a phase of 
avoiding anything that looked even close to a straight line. So all the roads are curved around imaginary contours in the land. Um, there's not a single straight line anywhere. And what we have, we're, we've got an end of terraced house and where the the road has a massive loop effectively it's given us a big semicircle sized side garden with a footpath and a road right around the outside of it on the side of the house and the planning permission is only for a three foot fence so it's got a very low uh, fence on it not a great fence i must say it was put up before we moved in uh, probably made of uh, a little bit of wire and a few rotting fence posts. I did look into improving it and, and reinforcing my side garden for reasons that you'll understand uh, a little bit later in the story. But just doing a few online quotes, uh, fencing is, is shockingly expensive or, or perhaps not too expensive if you're having a mod modest fence but when you've got a, a half a circle I measured the size of this and it's not a very big side garden but the amount of fence that we'd have to put around the outside just came to incredibly high amount of money that I can't justify but one of the key things about this garden is that it, it forces me to be out and visible more often than not so so when we moved in it needed quite a lot of work it was overgrown there was lots of things that needed doing and because it's got this low fence it's right out in the middle of anywhere I'd find that any time that I went out into the side garden um, all the, the 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 people around here especially the elderly people that live in various houses would uh, <laughs> within moments of me coming out it was almost like being an ice cream man and setting my little tinkerbell sirens going people would start appearing and everyone wants to stop and talk to you when you're in that side garden and I noticed fairly quickly when we moved in that almost everyone that came and spoke to me would point to the apple tree and say something along the lines of oh you've got good apples in that apple tree or oh that's a really nice apple tree that or <laughs> various other comments about the apple tree all the apples you could get from it. And I was probably a little bit slow on the uptake. I probably should have twigged a lot quicker, but it took me a while to realise that what everyone was doing in, in very pointedly talking to me about the apple tree and mentioning how nice the apples were, was they were making sure I understood that the previous owner had made the apples available to anyone who wanted them. And this tree... It's pretty big now. I've, I've I've cut it all down today. You'll hear the story. But even when it was small, absolutely teeming with them. And to be fair, they are really nice apples. Um, absolutely teeming with them. You get hundreds of them. So sure enough, the first autumn came. We watched the apples grow all the summer. And once we got to the autumn, the apples started to get ripe. Uh, I've, I started to notice a couple of things. The first thing I noticed was that one section of my fence got trampled almost immediately you could see where people had been climbing over it to get into the garden clearly to get to the apple tree to nick apples and the second thing that probably why probably annoyed me probably tell a lot about me from this story but the thing that annoyed me even more than people climbing over the fence and breaking my fence to steal apples was that people came and started knocking on the door started ringing the doorbell at all hours of the day and night and I started to recognise a lot of the people that had stopped me over the previous few months and made a point of mentioning the apple tree. 
would come and knock on the door. Say, oh, can we get some apples from your tree? Which, of course, I said, yeah, please help yourself. Don't worry about it. This this goes on for for about a month. I don't mind people having the apples. I don't want them to trample my fence. And I certainly do not want people to ring the door. There's nothing worse than you're just about to step into the bath. You're wearing a towel. The doorbell goes. You have to run around trying to cover yourself up, run down, open the door. And there's a little old deer sitting there saying, oh, hello, can I, can I get some apples from your tree? So the second year, I thought I'm going to pro, I'm going to be a bit more proactive about this. Um, and I'm going to be a bit more proactive about this. And we're going to make sure that the people that are around here that want the apples get them, but that we don't get disturbed. So I printed off a set of uh, signs that I put in plastic envelopes and pinned up around the perimeter of the fence, uh, inviting the neighbourhood to do two things. Number one, you are welcome to take apples. Please do not climb over the fence. Just come through the gate, up the driveway, into the garden and take whatever you want. And that was it. Fairly simple. I thought I'd solved all my problems there. There's no reason for anyone to be climbing over the fence anymore. And there's no reason to be ringing on the doorbell so that was year number that was year number two the fence didn't get trampled that year the doorbell did go hundreds of times um, throughout September and October whenever we were trying to relax the doorbell would go I'd have to open it and not only do people want to ask can we get apples or thank you for putting the sign about apples but everyone wants a conversation now I do this podcast because I like conversation, but I like conversation at the right time. Certainly not when I'm uh, at work, I'm in the middle of a call and I come running away because the doorbell's gone and someone's standing there wanting to chat for me for quite a while about my free apple. So that was year two. My fence didn't get trampled, but the, if anything, the volume of doorbell ringing <laughs> increased significantly and not only that but somehow by putting the sign up uh, it invited anyone that came to ring the doorbell to thank you to thank me for allowing them to come and get apples or ask permission despite the fact the sign was there all of these people felt that they that I owed them some kind of conversation and I found myself at all hours of the day and night the doorbell would be going I'd be opening the door to people who wanted to talk to me about random nonsense now I, I don't mind a bit of a chat I do this podcast because I uh, I like talking I like conversation and generally I like what people have to hear but it has to be at the right time and it has to be controllable and the right time certainly is not when you're on a, a meeting on your computer for work and the doorbell goes in the middle of the afternoon and you have to leave the meeting to run to the doorbell thinking it's the postman or, or someone you're going to miss a parcel and there's a little old dear sit down in there who wants to spend 20 minutes chatting to you about what she's going to do with the apples that she's taking from your garden. So year three... I went even further with my instructions and my signs at this point started to get a little bit bossy. So year three, I did the same again. Um, one of the first things that had happened in year two, uh, I didn't mention it just now, but before I put the sign up, several weeks before that, the doorbell started going with people saying, oh, are we, are we going to be able to get apples when they're ripe? So this time, very early on, middle of the summer, I printed out the signs again 
Only this time I wrote on them uh, a few more instructions. Hello, neighbours. The apples will be ripe around about mid-September through to the end of October. So from the 15th of September, please feel free to help yourself to apples from this tree. Please do not climb over the fence. Just come up the path and walk round to the side garden. Please take as many as you want, but be considerate of the next person. Please do not ring the doorbell. Just help yourself. You are welcome. So far, so good. The doorbell didn't go until the middle of September. And indeed, we started to notice people were coming into the garden, helping themselves to apples. And some of it was really, really rewarding. There was a group of schoolgirls that we started to see every day around about four o'clock. They'd walk past these three girls. They'd come in up the uh, up the path, help themselves to an apple each and carry on their way. It was really quite lovely. That was my dream situation. However, I had significantly underestimated the tenacity or the determination of people to want to ring my doorbell and talk to me about these apples. And the doorbell continued to go, still with the same people ringing and asking for permission, despite the fact I put signs everywhere saying, please take them, don't ring the doorbell. I'd still constantly get people ringing on the door, wanting to thank me or wanting to ask permission. But I also started getting people now now this had become something official where I'd put a bit more instructions and really made it a community event. People started ringing and asking for various other things. So uh, the bell went one afternoon. I was in the middle of a work call, which I had to, to hang up and run to the door to see what was going on. And it was a, a guy had come and complaining to me that most of the apples out there were out of reach and somehow managed to talk me into going into my shed, getting out a little uh, three-step step ladder and put it in the garden so that he could reach the apples higher on, higher up. Started getting the doorbell, started to go. I had a group of kids one day ringing, saying, oh, we can't reach any. Can you come and get some down for us? Can you pick them for us? Which me being the sucker I am, I did. I went and picked apples for these kids because they said they couldn't reach. Um, and then once the apples started to uh, started to run out, one chap rang the door I opened him I opened the door and he he looked really quite agitated and he said well I've just been round to look at the apples and there's hardly any good ones left there's only these little ones left have you got any of the the bigger ones that were there I've been watching them all summer have you got any of the bigger ones <laughs> which I'd say no I don't I'm sorry like yeah you know, we took about I do about 10 into the kitchen they're in my fruit bowl and I'm keeping them What's on the tree is what's on the tree. You can have it or you can't have it. Um, he wasn't the last one to ring the doorbell. I had two other people ring the doorbell to complain at me that once the apples were gone, oh, I didn't. We didn't get any. We were we were waiting and we saw this. We were watching them all summer and we didn't get any. Have you got any? So finally, year four, I decided I'm not not going through this anymore i'm not putting the signs up i'm not inviting people to help themselves because i'm not dealing frankly with people getting angry with me that they can't come and get free apples or the apples that they expected to be there weren't when they came <laughs> and knocked the door so year four me and the kids went out early in september and we picked every apple 
off the tree, which is quite tax. It's quite hard work. But we picked every single apple. We sorted them out. We removed all the ones that were mouldy and had worms in and various bad bits. We removed all the tiny little ones. And at the end of that process, we had two trays, which I'd nicked off the Tesco delivery driver over the past few weeks. We had two trays absolutely full with apples. So I set up a table right next to the fence around the edge of the side garden, put these two huge trays of apples on, and I wrote on a piece of cardboard saying, please help yourself to these apples. The garden looked a bit of a, a wreck. There was a still a lot of mess that needed cleared up, but I thought, job well done. We've got all the apples down. I've put them all in reach. No one needs to come in the garden at all. No one needs to come anywhere near the front door Um and certainly, hopefully, no one is going to come and ring the front door to tell me that they're taking apples out of the pots. Job well done. Went inside, made a cup of tea, probably in there for about 20 minutes making a cup of tea. And I thought I better go out and clear up some of the scrap. Some of the, the leaves and the scrap and the junk that was lying around on the floor. I went out and both of these huge fruit and vegetable trays full of apples hundreds of apples completely disappeared in that 20 minutes in the middle of a saturday afternoon someone i absolutely i I would i would love to know who it was why it was or what they did but someone had come along and stolen two but they must must have been about 40 kilograms of apples someone had yoiked must have put them into there's no way you could carry them someone must have put them into a van uh, that was the worst year yet because the doorbell still went non-stop with people saying oh there's did you pick all the apples off the tree where did they go and I had to tell everyone well look I put them out but someone nicked the entire lot which everyone wants to chat about yeah, I, I got no idea who did that, why they did it. I mean, half the honestly, half of the guy people around here, they don't eat fruit and veg. I don't know what people are doing, why people get so obsessed. Just because these apples are free, people get really obsessed with them. But yeah, someone well done, whoever you are. Congratulations, you've got two massive crates of apples. I hope you needed them. I hope at least you sold them and made some money. I think, I suspect they probably ended up rotting in someone's garden because uh, someone's eyes were bigger than their belly. So we're now on year five. This will be the fifth year. Uh, if the apple tree grows back, I have severely trimmed it down. I've cut a lot of the branches off. I think it's going to be a slightly reduced harvest this year. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do yet about allowing people to pick them. They've shown they can't be can't be trusted if I leave a tray out. People, someone's going to nick the entire tray. And honestly. It is just not worth my life for me to be constantly walking out there, putting the apples out six at a time so people can just take what they need. So any ideas? What? How can I fairly and evenly distribute these apples to my neighbours without, without inviting anyone to come and ring on my doorbell, without inviting anyone to want to have a conversation, without inviting anyone to talk to me about apples. I want people to come, take apples, go and knock it, nick the entire lot. realized 
few weeks back that we've lived in this house now for five years and it made me go back and start looking through some of the pictures that we took when we first moved in and uh, made me realize how much the house has changed how much we've changed um not all of it for the better but some of it quite positive change but one of the things that really stood out was there was an apple tree in the garden when we moved in and looking at the pictures when we moved in made me realize just how much it's grown in five years it's gone from a, a sort of manageable productive nice apple tree to something that is huge and looms over the the house literally got branches that come over the top of the side of the house it is the, the branches have all got quite crisscrossed as well it, it looks a mess so uh, I, real, I realized I need to do something about this Red tried to read a little bit about how you prune an apple tree and I couldn't really make head nor tail of the instructions um I just wanted to you know I wanted something really basic to tell me to cut it in a lollipop shape or to cut from the top or cut from the bottom I wasn't sure I gathered enough that I, I shouldn't be cutting it when um, when it's got leaves on it. So I've been waiting for, for the leaves to go and waiting for the, the right moment to cut it, which has been really, really difficult because as soon as I realised that it was going to need to be done, I started looking around for chainsaws. Um, it was like the only excuse or reason I'd ever needed in my life uh, to buy a chainsaw suddenly had come true and I thought yes I'm going to get a chainsaw and take care of this tree and I ended up buying two chainsaws the first of which I bought from uh, a Chinese website and I'm absolutely sure you wouldn't be able to buy it here in Great Britain it is singly the most dangerous thing I have ever owned it's breathtakingly dangerous so what it is it's a bit like a, a cordless drill exactly like a cordless drill with a, a clip-on battery only instead of having the end of a drill it's got a three inch chainsaw blade which goes like the blood like instantly goes like the clapper so you can hold it in one hand and you've got three inches of thrashing chainsaw blade which based on the way it can cut through wood would would cut your arm off in half a second it wouldn't even stop you'd just go straight through you know if you tri if you you tripped on it or you know you're not talking about oh we've managed to get a cut on your leg it would it would cut right through it saw through bones instantly and there's no there's no no two button trigger just got one trigger you pull it and it goes quite startlingly the first time you do it because you're just testing it out and it's only <laughs> going no guards of any sort. It's not, there's no place where you put your other hand. So presumably you're going to have this in one hand. And anyway, incredibly, it was so dangerous. In fact, that I took, I've taken the battery out and locked it in the garage, and taken the chainsaw itself and locked it in another cupboard inside the house. Um, I just. Yeah, under no circumstances we're going to leave those two together. Um, great fun, but wow, amazing bit of kit. I recommend everyone gets one. By the way, get one before they're before they're banned. Um, they're probably already banned, but get one while you can because it, it it's absolutely brilliant fun. And then the second chainsaw, actually, I, I, was, I was shopping for a strimmer. Uh, we've been using these orange plastic plug-in strimmers for 
for years and they they're useless trying to get the little you spend more time messing about trying to get the little plastic string out um, than you do actually chopping things down so I wanted uh, I wanted something a bit more substantial and I was looking at, at petrol streamers and that's where I found this incredible streamer for for not much more than a hundred quid was a petrol streamer with a little two-stroke petrol engine on with a streamer head that like you'd expect a second head that's like about the the size of a dinner plate but it's like uh you imagine a three-spoke alloy wheels without the rim um so it's it's essentially three really broad bright blade blades really broad blades that spin around really really fast i'm not quite sure what you're going to use it for but it, it smashes everything up you know you use it to smash up concrete i also bought separately a um a head that's like again the size of a dinner plate but it's got knotted wire all around the edges it was advertised as it you know it completely obliterates weeds you can use it for scrubbing scrubbing floors and tiles and things like that but what was really clever what this this was a modular system so as well as the strimmer attachments you could take those off and you could attach other ends to it and it also had a pole that you can extend this thing to about 12 foot long and then on the end you can either have your strimmer 12 foot away from you or you can have a hedge trimmer attachment which i got or you can have a chainsaw blade it's about two foot long chainsaw blade which again zombie apocalypse i'm gonna be i think having a chainsaw on the end of a 12 foot pole is a pretty fearsome weapon but this uh, this has been wait i've been waiting to use this for the right time to to prune the tree and that finally came today uh it was a dry it was the weather was with the tree is is in the right condition it was dry for the first time in a long time and i had a i had a free morning to do it unfortunately all the kids decided they wanted to come out and there was no way i was going to use either of these chainsaws while the kids were around so i spent really felt like um felt like being on christmas day and your parents won't let you open your presents they all oh, one more i i was desperately waiting to use my chainsaw because i also knew the moment i i got it out or started using it the the, the kids would be 10 times worse crowding around wanting to see it wanting to get involved so i held off and off cleaning other bits up playing with eventually they went in and i got my got my chainsaw um and it went really well i think i don't know we'll see what grows back but it really got me th- i really enjoyed it and i i'm quite disappointed that i've i've cut that tree down i haven't really got anything else to to cut there's nothing out there and i've spent a good part of this morning walking around looking for things to looking for things to soar up and i know they um they say when when you when you only got what did i say when you only got a hammer every problem looks like a nail and i feel a bit like that now i've got a chainsaw and i'm <laughs> and everything looks like a bit of wood once cutting up so yeah i don't know what i'm going to do with this thing but i i got really i started to get pretty knackered it was hard work not as easy as you think and i came in and i grabbed uh i got a cup of tea and i was a bit hungry as well i was looking there wasn't really anything I, I could grab to eat so i got like a lump of cheese out the fridge and took it out with me and i had a bit of a break i had this cup of tea i was eating this bit of cheese and i just thought of what an absurd picture it was to anyone walking past to see me eating a hunk of cheese and i said well no actually i'm i'm eating a plowman's lunch 
and a ploughman's lunch that I have probably earned for the first time in my life. I'm doing something similar to the job of a ploughman and eating a lump of cheese and it suddenly kind of fell into place where I, I and I haven't researched ploughmans for anyone that 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 doesn't know what I'm talking about so in the UK at least a ploughman's lunch is it's a type of meal served cold that includes usually something like a lump of cheese maybe cottage cheese maybe ham bread rolls pickles or pickled onions celery a bit of salad it's generally it's a bit like cheese and biscuits but with a a bit more pickly a bit more rustic um and i realized today probably the the type of things that didn't need heating up you could wrap them up have them in your bag all day out in a field and and they've got really high calorific value and and it's interesting because one of the things you tend to think about ploughmans in the UK is it's, it's, it's a light bite. It'll always be, it would be on the light bite part of the menu. Or you can think of it like a salad. If somebody, certainly when we were kids, you know, because I, maybe because it's cold, but uh, or having a ploughman's would be akin to having a salad, which you, you think of as being low calorie or a healthy option. But I realised that a big lump of cheese and bread is probably exactly what you what you want and need if you're doing the hard work of a ploughman. It made me realise actually I've got quite a lot of prejudice towards what a ploughman is that I didn't even realise because one of our friends is getting married and they've kind of worked out from the timings of, of their do that they've got a bit of a gap where they're giving everyone a meal but everyone's going to need another meal, a lighter meal later on. And I've seen various people, I've seen people do this and it's where you might call in a hog roast or have a cheese board. But this friend has said, oh, we're having a ploughman's. We're we're having a ploughman's as our evening meal at the wedding. And now that's actually exactly what that moment calls for. That's that's perfect. Um, Bread and cheese, cheese and biscuits. If you're having cheese and biscuits. But there was something about the fact that they called it a ploughman's that really, really jarred with me. It really made me think that doesn't have a ploughman's at a wedding. And I realised it's nothing to do with what the actual food is. You know, it'd be lovely. Have some have some cheese, have some bread. Um, exactly what you want as an evening snack, but more to do with my thoughts about what a wedding should be and my prejudice towards what a ploughman's is. So to me, when when someone says ploughman's, the first thing that comes to mind is a sort of hospital canteen with a paper plate with some cheese and a couple of crackers and some grapes maybe or a bit of a little jar of pickle or something with tight cellophane over the top. It's been sitting there for quite a while. That would be a ploughman's lunch. And I don't think I don't think it's very. I can't. I'm struggling to place a ploughman's in a in a luxurious setting. No, so there's a pub in Wells in Somerset, really near the cathedral, um, just next to where they have the the market at Christmas. We we visit it once a year at Christmas time. Look at the market. Look at the cathedral, and we eat in this pub. It's really really nice. Uh, really good food. I, maybe I'll, I'll find the name and. and 
Yeah, I will. In fact, I'll look it up. I'll post on Twitter at Uncredible Pod, also Instagram at Uncredible Adventures. Or, of course, if you go to the website, uncredibleadventures.com, I will post this in a blog, the name of this pub. But full recommendation from me. Really, really nice. Carefully prepared, reasonably priced food in a very traditional English pub. If you are ever in the southwest, in, in the Somerset area, I can thoroughly recommend this pub. But they do a they do a ploughman's, and, and I'm sure that we're normally something quite heavy because it's our, our, our pre-Christmas treat, visiting Wells, parking in the Waitrose, walking up past as an old-fashioned sweet shop, getting some sweets. But one year, we've done it for years and years, and one year um, we had a a ploughman's which had a, a big lump of pork pie i think half a scotch egg on a big wooden board really so that was a very very nice ploughman's um again totally suitable for a wedding but the the pervading thought that i have is i don't know a, a working men's club um type dinner don't know what did uh, i'm not sure what that what that triggered something in your head do you think of would you think of ploughman's at a wedding? Do you think of it as being something a salad that's low calorie? Because it's not very, very high calorie. It's been if it uh, presumably probably should have looked this up, but presumably <laughs> has got a link to actual ploughman's. It's the type of food that someone working in the field might eat, and and in which case they they want stuff that was calorific, high calorific value. Yeah. One of the, the the most enjoyable things this morning about running the chainsaw was the smell. That two-stroke, smoky, oily engine, petrol-burning smell that is so emotive and just, it brought back so many memories. Or in fact, it didn't. Um, it's the interesting thing about smell as a sense. It can, it, it brings back feelings it, it really places you somewhere and it, it and it makes you feel a, a certain feeling but it doesn't necessarily give you an exact memory you can there's a certain smell that I associate with being at school it's, it's a combination of um the polished floors um and the, the sort of dinners hanging in the air you get it sometimes when you're in hospitals or things like that and it it when you smell that it'll take me right back not to a specific memory but to a place um but that smell of smell of petrol really takes me back to a time when i, I was really pursuing things without too many worries but the an engine was one of the most fascinating and, and interesting things and I had another friend who was really really interested with engines and I think when we were about 12 or 13 we got our hands on a petrol lawnmower a two-stroke petrol lawnmower that didn't didn't work anymore so I think the the the, the clutch had corroded to the point that it couldn't turn around the propeller so effectively it was just an engine but the engine worked fine and we, and we 
removed the engine from the lawnmower and from the rest and used to have it stand alone. And we would literally sit for hours running it in the garden, the little fuel tank. It had like a metal fuel tank with on a on a tube um, that we that we used to have to sort of rest on the tree, so it was slightly higher than the engine. And then the the carburetor, the the throttle housing, we didn't have it wasn't attached to a cable anymore. We used to just do that with our fingertip, but we used to sit there and let this engine just run, running the thing, just enjoying the noise and the smell and flicking or or, or pulling the the little lever to make it open up and it was absolutely fun and I missed those days I wish I had a I'd, I'd do it now I honestly I'd do it now I'd sit out and I'd just run an engine for the for the sheer joy of hearing it run but we graduated beyond that because what we really wanted was a motorbike there were a few older kids around that had motorbikes and where we used to live there was a piece of woodland that was officially, I think it was a public bridleway, whatever that is. But it wasn't, no one used to ride horses on there. No one used to walk up there. It was pretty much forgotten. It was just a path through the woods. Now, I know for a fact that people owned woods on either side of this path. And that's a complete another story. But what what used to happen, we, we discovered this place and and anyone that had a motorbike or some kind of motorbike and, and I'm talking about is mopeds I remember CR125 Honda CR125 scramble bike was the absolute creme de creme and we we'd go up there and you'd see a few people riding on on those type of things few people on monkey bikes people on mopeds it was actually a pretty busy social scene up there but you needed wheels um, and we used to just go up and admire um, and people would tell stories about how the, the police would come and chase them across the field on police scramblers. We never saw any of that. Never really got bothered up there. But we needed to get our hands on a motorbike or a moped. It, it was way beyond our means until when I think I was about 14. And one of the, a friend of a friend, one of the neighbours or something, rang my dad and said, oh, I've got something that I might be interested in and we went and looked and it was a Honda I'm gonna have to put a picture I'm gonna put a picture on the Instagram which is um at incredible pod uh sorry no Twitter is at incredible pod or the Insta is at uncredible adventures uh, I'll put it on the blog as well at uncredibleadventures.com but it I want to say a Honda C90 it wasn't it was a 50cc moped with a little basket and light on the front, a little Honda one, that the story of it apparently was that someone, someone's husband had been trying to do the knowledge, so the, the, the test you have to do to become a taxi driver in London requires you to know all of the roads around London. It's a very detailed test, and what happens is people drive around with a, or certainly back in that day, I don't know how they do it, it's with a sat-nav now presumably, but back in the day, you would drive around with a map on a clipboard on the front of a moped. You'd see lots of people doing it, just learning the roads, driving around so that they could be examined on the, the best way to drive around London. And this moped had been used for that, but it'd been in a been hit by a car. And the guy had been knocked off and he was not 
not seriously, not mortally wounded, but um, certainly shaken up and didn't want to ride the motorbike. So he put it in the shed and forgot about it. And then 10 years later, had discovered it was already a, an old moped. But when we, by the time I got it, it was probably 15, 20 years old. And it didn't have a key. Uh, he didn't know if, if it run. But he said, look, my friend's chucking it out. Do you want it? So we took this... I mean, what a price! I, I, I would never in my life own anything as precious as that moped. I don't possibly imagine that the the people that gave it to me could have even realised what that meant to me and how coveted that was. Um, had tiny, had little wheels the size of dinner plates. You know, it was a real little moped, but what a gift! Um, so me and my mate, without much knowledge at all, set to work trying to get it to run it didn't have a key he knew some people a bit more dodgy than me that advised him basically if you get a flathead screwdriver and hammer it into the lock hard enough you can break all the locking mechanism and then you can just use it to turn it round. so we did that um effectively smashed the ignition and you could turn it around and, and you could you could you could do that just by sticking a screwdriver in you could turn it on or turn it off so then it, it was fully unlocked we got some petrol I don't, I'm not sure a 14-year-old could rock up at a petrol station now and run some petrol, but we did. Filled it up. And lo and behold, it started working. Um, we could run this little engine. And we did. We spent a few weekends just doing laps of the garden. We only I needed a little garden, but this was only a little bike and it was just enough space for us to drive around the garden hours and hours at a time. And eventually... We did take it up to this this bridal way where we knew people had, and we were so proud to be part of it and to come up with our our bike. We we pushed it until we were far enough away from the house that we didn't think anyone would see, and then rode it on on the pavements and up the back roads to to get to this bridal way, um, where we realised two things. Um, the first was that this was a really churned up path. It was this was autumn. It was very wet. The path was churned up for all the big scrambler bikes and things that drove around up there, and these tiny little dinner plate sized smooth tires were just spinning. Couldn't get any any traction at all. So it was some places you could ride, but generally speaking, it was very hard to ride it. And number two was that we were we were getting bullied. We were getting laughed at because it was a you know a ridiculous little moped with a little lamp on the front quite funny so we we spotted on the side of the path there was a a break in the fence and you could get through to another bit of the woods where it cleared out and it's a bit of a clearing so we we took the moped through there and arriving up and um yeah we weren't doing that long before someone came absolutely furious um farmer type have get right what are you doing so we scarped out of there out of there quick style and we went back to, we just used to drive this thing around, around the garden until we had the, the wise idea we were going to do a total engine rebuild. Uh, I think, we, you know, we weren't happy enough to have it. We had to tinker and we, you know, oh, if we clean the carburetor out, we'll be able to get it, you know, get this thing going much faster. And actually that's the story of how, how the moped came came to die was that we, we took it apart. We used my dad's tools Um took the engine apart and had no idea how to put it back together again um i could never get it started again but i do remember 
my friend was much more of a, a daredevil than me. And on one of our one of our test runs, he decided to ride it to the end of my road and back. Timed it absolutely perfectly when a police car came and it got pulled over. And from where I was, I could see what was going on, but I didn't want to get involved. And he got pulled over by this police car. So he stopped. And they got out and they were shouting out and they were shouting, turn the engine off, turn the engine off. Um, but of course, he didn't have a screwdriver with him. And the only way we were turning this thing on or off was by using a screwdriver. And you couldn't do it with your hands. You had to crack it with a screwdriver. And I just remember my friend absolutely terrified on this bike with police standing around shouting, turn the engine off, turn the engine off, not being able to do it. And eventually, at a pure desperation because the situation was evolving so fast he reached down and grabbed the rubber wire for the spark plug and yanked it off which if you've ever done that it not a, not a not an electric shock that's going to kill you but it gives gives you a hell of a shock through your hand to be holding on to a, a spark plug wire so yeah he took it took an electric shock Got in a huge amount of trouble for that one. I didn't quite know how it ended because luckily um, they took him home to his parents and, and I had nothing to do with it. But um, yeah, he'd broken several several laws that day. Um, and so, yeah, the moped did eventually. We, we took it apart for a full rebuild that was totally unnecessary and never got it back together again. What a shame. course one of the uh, one of the best things of doing the yard work and using your chainsaw is the bonfire you get to have after and we've got here some bits of the Christmas tree which have survived all the way through to March um, but I finally chopped up today and boy do these things go up so go on in. go ahead chuck one on guys Ready, 